And now, Virgin Most Powerful Radio is pleased to present Hands-On Apologetics with renowned Catholic author and apologist, Gary Machuda. Apologetics, you have entered into Virgil Most Powerful's Apologetics Dojo. It's great to be with you today. It's Friday, it's closing up the week. And as you know, here in the dojo, we uh, treat our training as defenders of faith, much like we do physical workouts. You know, you always want to finish your week workout session strong, you don't want to wimp out at the end. And uh, that's exactly what we're going to do. We're going to finish out strong. We have a fantastic conversation with a convert to the Catholic Church, uh, former uh, Pentecostal minister, Kenny Bouchard. He's going to be coming up on the other side of the break. And we're going to talk about a question that I think a lot of Catholics fumble on when asked by our separated brethren. Are you saved? Are you saved? You know, it, that phrase in and of itself has uh, many different implications, and it's and uh, it, its meaning changes from different persons to different persons. So, how do you answer a question like that as a Catholic, as a, a, a apologist? Right? Are you saved? Well, Kenny Bouchard's going to be breaking down that very simple, yet somewhat complex question on the other side of the break. And uh, that's something I think everybody, uh, even if you're not into defending the faith, somebody somewhere is going to ask you that question, are you saved? And you really should be prepared to give a decent, although short, response. Um, that's just part of being Catholic. You know, we need to convey our beliefs. So uh, that's coming up on the other side of the break. On this side of the break, since it's Friday, we're going to change up our usual routine Instead of doing the finding of the fallacy where we look at an informal fallacy, we're going to look at propaganda technique instead. Of course, propaganda techniques are different from logical fallacies. Um, logical fallacies are like broken arguments. Something's wrong with them. But a propaganda technique isn't even an argument. It doesn't even get up to that level. It is a uh, subconscious manipulation uh, where someone entices you to believe, accept, or do something without any evidence or arguments. And so every Friday we look at a propaganda technique. Today's propaganda technique is the bandwagon fallacy or the bandwagon propaganda technique. And we also meet an early church father. Today's early church father is kind of a part-time early church father, if you're going strictly by the definition of a church father. It's Tertullian. Tertullian, fascinating figure in antiquity. Um, like I said, he's a part-time early church father because he began and converted to Catholicism and was fully Orthodox for a period. But then he got seduced by a heresy known as Montanism. And so uh, you have to be careful using his works because some will uh, mirror the faith and can be used uh, effectively to demonstrate early beliefs others not so much so we're going to talk about tertullian in a few seconds before we do that though i want to welcome all of you to the show welcome to the dojo everyone getting with our live stream audience <clears throat> and also 
Of course, all of you listening on radio around the country and via podcast around the world, either through our handy-dandy phone app or through our flagship website, which is virginmostpowerfulradio.org. All right. <clears throat> Welcome aboard, everybody. Um, also, I want to mention a couple of things. It's Friday. I, I've been actually mentioning it throughout the week, but I want to keep it going because uh, it, it keeps going itself. It is the Apocrypha Apocalypse channel on YouTube. Uh, many of you are familiar with my work. You know that I've written actually a few books on the Deuterocanon. I might even have one more still left in me. So I don't know, maybe someday I'll get around to writing it. But I'm fascinated by this idea of uh, the Old Testament canon and really the Protestant inability and Jewish inability to explain how they have only certain amount of books and don't accept seven books that Catholic and Orthodox do. And uh, so that's called the Deuterocanon, also a couple of chapters in Daniel and Esther. So... Um, Anyway, we're rocking and rolling on this channel. It's called the Apocrypha Apocalypse on YouTube. Or just type in Gary Machuda. I, I run it with uh, David Zavares and also our good friend William Albrecht. And uh, we're we just really digging deep and, and unearthing a lot of very interesting history. History, Protestant history, actually. We're doing a series right now on Lutheranism that I would say probably 95% of Lutherans out there aren't even aware of. Um, so if you want to be ahead of the game and you want to be equipped to talk about, I, I think, one of the most important topics you can talk about with our separated brethren, the Old Testament canon, definitely check it out. Go to the Apocrypha Apocalypse on YouTube. And while you're there, please sub and like, you know, ring the bell so you get notified when new videos come out. We do live streams every now and then. We also have a, a produced a video documentary type things that we're always producing like every week. So uh, check it out, folks, please. Pocket for Apocalypse on YouTube. And like I said, you could just type in Gary Machuda. It'd probably come up. Um, let's see, anything else that I'm forgetting? I don't believe so. So why don't we look at our finding the fallacy for today, which is a propaganda technique. It's called the bandwagon technique. There's also a bandwagon fallacy. Um, it, I think I mentioned in the show, that it's kind of funny. There is uh, uh, logic, informal fallacies, and then there are propaganda techniques, and sometimes they're closely associated with. This is a great example of one because the bandwagon fallacy is essentially the same thing as the propaganda technique, uh, although it's not necessarily proposing an argument. The bandwagon uh, propaganda rests on uh, the inner desire for us to be part of a group, part of the crowd, not be left behind. Everybody wants to be on the bandwagon, right? You want to be moving forward, cutting hedge, you know, type people who aren't left out, left behind, and, you know, be irrelevant. So what the bandwagon propaganda technique does is it's an invitation for you to believe, accept, or do something simply because you don't want to be left out of this big group of people who is behind a particular movement or something like that. 
And uh, so th- that's the that's the crux of it, you know. And again, it exploits that inner desire for us not to be isolated or alone or to be a fringe group or something like that. We want to be part of the in crowd. And the propaganda technique of bandwagon essentially exploits that. Of course, it doesn't explain why that particular movement is true or good or beneficial. It doesn't give any evidence. The only thing it gives is that join or you'll be left out. And we see this a lot in advertising. Um, you know, the Pepsi generation, remember that? Uh, the Pepsi people, uh, that's a great example of this bandwagon technique. Uh, you don't want to be left out or left behind. You want to be part of the ink crowd. And that's our propaganda technique, the bandwagon propaganda. Excuse me. Uh, just getting a cough just now. Um, let's meet to uh, go to meet our early church father for today, who, like I said, is a part-time early church father. His name is Tertullian. Tertullian was born in Carthage of pagan parents between the year uh, somewhere around 155, 160 A.D., so a middle of the second Christian century. He became a lawyer and one of considerable repute. So that in itself should raise flags, a lawyer. Uh, after his conversion in around AD 193, he, he became an expert in the field of law, and he turned all those skills into a defender of the faith. So he becomes a rather formidable apologist in his own right. Jerome says that Tertullian was a priest. Our opinion on this point, however, is still very much divided. Uh, question, the patrologist, uh, remarks that he had uh, that the great respect of his writings enjoyed is inexplicable unless he was not a cleric. Um, we might counter this argument by stating, says Jurgen's Faith Early Fathers, that the great respect for a man's writings may be evidence of two ways. It could be appealing to his authority or just the wide use of his works. In Tertullian's case, his writings are quoted considerably by later fathers. But more often than not, uh, they're, con- they're usually quoted anonymously. This can be accounted for uh, by genuine excellence of his writings, apart from any particular respect for his person. Certainly, his writings were widely known and widely read. And again, this understanding, quite apart from his person, uh, when we remember that uh, he was the first to write in Latin, the new vernacular, when Greek was beginning to pass away as the common language in the West. Uh, so is this new, shiny, new vernacular language that Tertullian uh, jumped into and used, and that could account for its popularity. We find nothing in his writings to indicate that he's a priest or a cleric of any kind, and at the same time, in a manner in which he deals with theological points, particularly of interest uh, to the laity, he generally reveals the attitude of a layman. Uh, Tertullian's literary activities embraced the years 197 to 220, and it's within the span of nearly 25 years. His numerous writings fall into three distinct periods. He has a Catholic period from 197 to 206. He has a semi-Montanist period where he flirts with a heresy of Montanism between 206 and one, uh, 212. And, of course, his full-on Montanist period from there on out. And that is our early church father for today, Tertullian. Coming up next, we're going to be talking with our good friend, Kenny Burchard, about the Catholic answer to 
Are you safe? Stay tuned. Now, back to Hands-On Apologetics with Gary Machuda. If you'd like to join the conversation, call 888-526-2151. Here's Gary. And welcome back, everybody, Hands-On Apologetics. And I think one question that Catholics are going to be asked at some point in their lifetime by our separated brethren is the question, are you saved? How do you answer that question? It actually seems very simple, but there are a lot of different facets to it and help us work through that. We have a good friend, uh, Kenny Burchard, with us. Kenny, of course, was served as a senior and founding pastor of Pentecostal Church in Central California from 2001 to 2013. Uh, he re- completed a seminary degree at MA in New Testament, Mennonite Brethren Biblical Semin- uh, Seminary. And uh, he and his family joined the Catholic Church in 2019. Currently works for our good friends at the Coming Home Network. You can check out all their great stuff at chnetwork.org. And Kenny, welcome back to Hands-On Apologetics. Gary, great to be with you. You hear me okay, right? Always the first question. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Yes, the mic is on and you're coming in loud and clear. That's great. Hey, thanks for having me back. It's good to be with you today uh, talking about salvation. Are you saved? Have you been saved? (laughs) Yeah, and I have a feeling, my friend, that as a Pentecostal, that probably was one of your favorite questions you'd like to ask Catholics. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, And I I think probably among most evangelical Protestants, that phrase, are you saved or have you been saved or, you know, some derivation of it, it's a it's a common question even among you know each other as people in Protestant and evangelical traditions to to use that kind of as a discussion starter. Hey, so when were you saved? Uh, when did you get saved? Or let's go around the circle like let's maybe we're having a small group discussion and someone would say, well tonight I thought we could all just go around the room and talk about when we got saved and how we got saved and. So this is really just embedded in the evangelical mind. Um, it's a it's a, the it's a way of thinking. We kind of take it in as a, a culturally normative way of talking about salvation. And uh, there's you know a lot of ground to cover with this because as evangelicals and and Protestants, our our talk amongst each other was often that we needed to go get the Catholics saved or that the Catholics aren't saved. And when we had people who weren't Catholics or who were Catholics who, who got saved in our churches, <laughs> that you know, they 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 would say, you know, we we just talked and thought very differently about salvation when we were Catholics. It's not unusual for for Protestants and evangelicals to even um devise entire missionary evangelism and outreach strategies toward Catholics in order to, using that language, get the Catholics saved. We have to, we have to help them to get saved. And so, you know, when I wasn't a Catholic, I didn't think Catholics understood salvation. I didn't think they were saved. I mean, you know, using my Protestant language. So 
anyway, that's a, that's a long-winded introduction and, and a big yes to your question. It was a big concern of ours, you know. Yeah, right. And, you know, what's amazing is that very short question, is, there's a lot packed in it, right? Because it's like, uh, are you saved? Well, what do you mean by saved? Then things really start getting uh, complex, they, don't they? They sure do. And I think we need to unpack the meaning of that. And actually, it's a really good uh, conversation um, driver to ask questions. Well, what do you mean by that? But mm -hmm. where I'd like to start, Gary, if that's okay, is to give a little bit more a background into what's going on in the mind of a non-Catholic Christian, a Protestant and or evangelical. Uh, and I've started using that, you know, Protestant and or evangelical phrase, the longer I'm Catholic, because I realize that there isn't 100% overlap between all of those non-Catholic families. So I'm trying to scoop them all together as much as I can. Uh, but among Protestant and evangelical and or evangelical non-Catholic Christians, um, just in this, in this first little segment, just you know, I like all these words that start with the same letter. I don't know if that's kind of standing out to you when we get together or not. <laughs> but I, I thought of I thought of starting with three M's real quick, just for the Catholic audience to say, here's what's going on in the, in the mindset of your Protestant friend or your evangelical friend. And the first one really is their motive. So when when a non-Catholic asks their Catholic friend, "Hey, are you saved?" The motive behind that is the sincere and earnest desire of that person for you to have a relationship with God, you know, and to be to be internally to have a sense that you really are a Christian, that you really do believe in Jesus, um, that you really can be assured, uh, you know, of God's love for you and of, of God's saving work in your life. So I, th I think it's really important, you know, and it can be hard sometimes to remember, okay, my friend cares about me, you know. Right. Um, now, it is it is possible that a non-Catholic Christian could be attacking a Catholic with the question, you know, in a, a way to corner them or marginalize them or set them up, you know, in some way. But generally, I would go with the belief that my, my non-Catholic friend here is motivated by a deep desire for me to be assured that if I died today, this is this is typical Protestant language, if I died today and was standing before God, I know he would let me into heaven, that kind of a thing. And, um, and that, I think, really does motivate uh, people. Like, I, I listen to members of my family, Gary, talk about non-Christians. And, the, you know, it's not unusual for them to say, oh, I just want everyone to be saved. I just want, I just wish they were saved. I don't know if they're saved. The motive, that, that M word behind that is is really just a sincere desire for people uh, to have a relationship with God. So that's good, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> hey, yeah, hey, it comes from a good place. It, it does. It really does. Now, <clears throat> as we'll see, it may not come from a similar perspective, but it does come from a good a good place, and that's the place of sincere wanting the other to know God. And then the second M is the meaning. Um, the meaning behind "Are you saved?" 
is, and this will be different depending on the, the group that you come from, but generally speaking, the meaning of are you saved will be connected primarily to an event, um, an event in the life of the, the, the person that you're talking to. And typically, it's, it's this kind of thing, Gary. Have you prayed a prayer? And I know we've talked about this before in previous episodes when I've when I've been on with you. That are you saved? Behind that question, are you saved? The non-Catholic, Protestant, or Evangelical Christian is looking for the Catholic to trace their answer back to an event where they consciously prayed to accept Jesus. And now we're using you know Evangelical language here. Accept Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. Uh, or they might even ask the question that way. They might say, have you accepted Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior? It can be really funny right here to just throw in, well, first of all, that phrase is found nowhere in the Bible. I understand how, where you're getting it, um, but <laughs> be that as it may, um, I think a Catholic can just answer yes to that question every time. Um, right. you know, have I accepted Jesus as my personal Lord and Savior? Yeah, of course I have. Um, right. But but that isn't exactly what the Protestant or evangelical is looking for. What they're looking for is that you prayed a prayer. Now, this isn't a prayer that's found anywhere in the Bible, but it's found in the back of lots of gospel tracts. <laughs> Right. Uh, and it's something like, Lord Jesus, come into my life, forgive me of my sins, cleanse me, fill me with your Holy Spirit, and empower me to live my life for you in Jesus' name. Amen. And then you'll typically have some follow-up like, um, if you prayed that prayer, you are, you know, welcome to the family kind of a thing. Mm -hmm. So within Protestant evangelical um, brands, trends, or streams of Christianity— this is what is the meaning behind the question is, was there an event in your life that you can point to where you consciously prayed and asked Jesus to save you? Um, and, and, and let me say this to every Catholic who might be watching in the Eucharistic uh, celebration at the Mass. You know, we say this little phrase, save us, Savior of the world. <laughs> you know, <laughs> how does the rest of it go for by your death and resurrection? You know, so so we say salvation prayers regularly as as Catholics. I can't even count how many sinners prayers uh, the confiator, is that how you say it, Gary? You know, I'm yeah. new guy here. Uh, yeah, is it's a sinner's prayer. Um, you know, the Lord have mercy, Lord have mercy, Christ have mercy, may Almighty God have mercy on us, forgive us our sins and lead us to everlasting life. You can't get out of a mass without praying the sinner's prayer or a sinner's prayer. There's hundreds and hundreds of sinner's prayers inside of Catholicism. So just for any Catholic that that's watching or listening, if someone said, have you ever prayed the sinner's prayer? You can say, yes, just, just like that. Boom. <laughs> just say yes, because yeah. you have. You've yeah. asked Jesus to save you. Uh, you're regularly asking Jesus to save you. And we'll talk about why that is maybe in the, in the next piece. But I just thought to start out with, you know, the motive comes from a good place. The meaning, your, your friend is asking you, have you ever prayed 
You know, have you ever have you ever said, "God save me, Jesus save me"? Well, dear Catholic friend, uh, yes, you you have done that if you've gone to mass anytime recently, right. uh, or if you've been to confession and and and. I mean, there's just a thousand sinners, you know, prayers, and um, most Catholics can just just say yes right out of the gate to to that question, um, and then. And I'm, I'm not sure how much time we, we have left, Gary, because I can't see the, the timer, but... Just under a minute. Okay. I would say that the final M would be the manifold um, perspectives of this are going to be different depending on the particular Christian that you talk to, which we'll unpack in the next session, that not all Protestants and evangelicals believe the same way about what happens after you pray that sinner's prayer. All of them want you to do it. All, all non-Catholic Christians, evangelicals, and Protestants want to make sure that you've at some point prayed to accept Jesus. But then from there, there are a lot of places that this can go, and, and Catholics have much in common with some uh, Protestant groups more than others, and we'll see where those overlap maybe in the in the in the next um, in the next segment. Yeah, it really does get thorny, you know, when you start yes. getting down to, into the particulars. And yes, of course, it does. Uh, and, which, of course, they don't go into the weeds. You know, they, they just <laughs> assume very simply: Have you been saved? Have you accepted Jesus? And that's about it. Yeah, yeah we're, we're say yes. <laughs> that's right. Say yes. That's the bottom line of today's program. <laughs> Uh, we're chatting with Kenny Bouchard, talking about the Catholic answer to save more to come right after this. This is Jesse Romero. You're listening to Hands-On Apologetics with Gary Machuda on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. And welcome back, everybody. We are chatting with Kenny Bouchard of chnetwork.org, which is the Coming Home Network, talking about how do Catholics, or how should Catholics answer the question, are you saved and yeah, great stuff, Kenny. And uh, like you said, right before the break, there really is a multitude of opinions as to, you know, once you you are saved, what exactly is entailed in that, you know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's true. Now, I happen to come from uh, primarily my, my theological, practical, ecclesial roots are in the Pentecostal charismatic traditions. <laughs> which tend to be, you know, Wesleyan, Arminian, um, you know, tracing back to, not to the Calvinist um, uh, strands of <laughs> church right. history, but more to the Arminian strands, for those who care to know the difference, you know, the Calvinist side of the house would tend to focus on things like once saved, always saved. So if if you have accepted Jesus, uh, you are saved. Now, they'll want to say some things about the role of good works in that salvation and how they fit and how they come about. But generally speaking, a, a Calvinist uh, and, and those who are on that side of the Reformation, the uh, Protestant Reformation, will say, you know, once saved, always saved. The Arminian side, Arminius would be the, the father of the, this way of thinking historically, would say, Okay, yeah, uh, you you become a Christian, but then you need to stay a Christian. You need to um, you need to cooperate with God, which actually is a it's the Catholic way. 
of thinking about about salvation. So, you know, in nerdy theological terms, you have people that are monergistic and, and synergistic. I know you like to teach your audience, you know, terminology. Uh, monergistic just means God alone is, is working. You know, we, we're sort of, if you will, the, the, benef- the beneficiaries and, and or victims of God's choices, um, whether, whether we like it or not, you know. Um, uh, monergism just means God alone is at work, mono ergos. One, one is working, and that's God. Synergism means there's, there's two things at play, synergy. God is at work, and he's the initiator, and then we cooperate with God's grace in some way. And that is actually the, the Catholic pers- perspective, uh, generally speaking, it's synergistic, that we uh, God initiates salvation, God's the author of salvation, God alone is Savior, we don't save ourselves, um, but we do participate with God. Now, the reason we say all that is because you can find a Protestant evan- and or evangelical across a a spectrum of belief there. So one of the things that, you know, if I was talking to a a Protestant, I would try to find out which one they are. You know, hey, are you a once saved, always saved Protestant? Or are you a Protestant like like I was? I believed, you know, in our doctrinal statement that you could apostatize from a real faith. You You could fall away. You could be a Christian, really be a Christian, and then at some point you could let go. You could turn your back. Um, like we would in in our denominational um, framework, we would say you can apostatize. Those three words we would use them in a sentence. You can apostatize, and what we would mean is you you could have been a Christian who fell away from being a Christian. That seems to me, and seemed to me, the most intuitive way of reading all these texts in the in the Bible uh, about salvation. But it's important, I think, to find out from your non-Catholic friend which which one they are. <laughs> um, but from but from there, uh, from there, then you can say, well, I can tell you what I mean by that if you want more. So we're trying to create a discussion, you know, with our non-Catholic friend um, when they say, "Are you saved?" Um, or have you accepted Jesus? I would say, absolutely, I've I have accepted Jesus, and 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 I believe I am saved, but I believe more than that. Like, I can say even more than that if you want me to. And that's where we can start unpacking a little bit how to have a conversation with our non-Catholic friends. And I think there's at, at least three ways that you can, um, as you as you peel out verses of Scripture about saved, salvation, and, and many non-Catholics will agree with this, not just Catholicism. Many Catholics, non-Catholics will agree that the Bible talks about uh, having been saved as a, as a past reality, being saved as an ongoing process, and then, and then will be saved as a, as a future idea that you can find, if you want three buckets of salvation texts, you can find Bible text to drop into all three of those buckets. And so a Catholic could say to their their friend, are you saved? He could say, or she could say, I, I have been saved, I'm being saved, and I will be saved. Do you want me to tell you what I mean by that? Okay. And uh, and then and then we can have a Bible study, and maybe we can start just uh, uh, Gary. Well, for, first let me let me stop there and, and just get your your feedback uh, on everything I've yeah. said so far. No, that's that's great because 
yeah, uh, what you want to do is expand uh, their idea. Like you said, they're looking for an, a single event, right? Right. Where you cross that threshold of salvation. And what you want to do is show that the, the Bible shows that it is a, a process. So when you put into those three buckets of have been saved, are being saved, and will be saved, you're kind of sh- challenging them saying, hey, you know, there's biblical evidence that it's not just a one-time event. It's a whole continuum. Right, right. Yeah, I love that approach. Yeah, I, and I think it's it's good it's good dialogue. But you know, just back to the motive of your friend. Your friend wants to make sure that you're really a Christian. So you you know, right out of the gate in this conversation, if someone says to you, "Dear Catholic, are you saved?" You say, "Yes," uh, and I believe in Jesus, and, and just like you, I, I'm I'm following Jesus. But can we unpack what you mean by that and what I mean by that as as a Catholic who may believe differently from you? But I but I do want you to know I I am a Christian. Are are you willing to hear more from me? Sure. So if the answer is yes, then these three ways and and then really there's a, there's a, a fourth one um, as well that really ties to the third one. But the first one is uh, have been saved. If you say have you been saved? Well. Yes, I, I have been saved on the basis of a couple of texts of Scripture. That first bucket is, you know, uh, the past, you know. And this really is is uh, going back to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 5, which says, Even when we were dead through our trespasses, uh, God made us to live together with Christ. And then in parentheses it says, By grace you have been saved. And then a couple of verses later in verse 8, it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not of your own doing, it is the gift of God, uh, and not of works, lest anyone should boast. So this is emphasis on the on the past. Well, what's interesting is when you bear down into the words there, uh, have been saved. This is, and again, ner- get nerdy here, uh, but it's a perfect passive participle plural. Pa, 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 pa. Perfect <laughs> passive participle yeah, plural. Say that four times quick. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, and what it means, now the, the, the perfect part is that it's been accomplished. It's been done. Mm-hmm. The passive part is that it was done by somebody else and not you. Um, and the, the participle part is, we do this in English, we say, having eaten, or having gone to the store, or having taken a nap, um, then this comes next. And then plural, now interesting, by grace, now if you have a King James Bible, it says, by grace are ye saved, and that's y'all if you live in the South. So, and this is done in, in both texts. So what Paul is doing is not talking about some individual person, quote, getting saved, but rather that in the past, Jesus has accomplished everything necessary in order to bring about the salvation of the whole people of God by his own gracious goodness, his own charity, and his own love. Now, he has done that, and as I come to faith in him, I I join into uh, that activity of God. I become a a partaker in the past action of, of God. So really, the, by grace have you been saved, it really isn't about me, is it? Uh, and it isn't about you. It's about what Jesus has done in the past for everybody. So I could say as a Catholic, I believe, I 100% believe that what Jesus has done in the past 
is freely given by his grace. And as I come to faith in him, Ephesians chapter 1, that you having believed have been sealed. So as I've come to believe in him, I've become a participant, a partaker. All of that has become, that Jesus has done has become accessible to me. But those Ephesians texts are about what Jesus did for us on the cross. Um, and, and we become partakers in that saving work through faith, by grace, through faith. And, um, and so that, that kind of deals with the past. When we're talking about the past, we're talking about what Jesus has done. Now, what your Protestant evangelical friend is talking about is your past. <laughs> you know, have you accepted this? And again, I think the Catholic um, can always say yes to this. If you have been baptized, if you've been confirmed, uh, if you know, if you are walking, uh, with, you know, with Jesus, and in, in a Catholic sense, we think about this sacramentally. You're you're walking with the Lord in the sacraments as the guardrails of of your life. You are uh, participating in the the life of God and the saving work of Jesus that has been done for you. So I, as a Catholic, would just say, yeah, I, I have been saved, but it's Jesus who did that for me. Amen. I might say, my friend, Jesus is the one, you know, the one that did that. Um, he, he's the one that, that saves. So let me, let me pause there. Any, any thoughts on the have been yeah. saved? You know, I never, um, I, I've been through that passage a lot. I never paid attention to the plural. So that's why I love talking to you, Kenny. It's I always learn new things. Uh, <laughs> very interesting stuff. And yeah. yeah, that makes a lot of sense in that context. And it also puts in perspective that use. Because as you know, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, I mean, that is kind of a calling card for you know how you get saved. It, it really is, and it can also be sort of a beating stick, you know, yeah, from, right. your, from your your non-Catholic friend on on the back of a Catholic. But we can affirm that verse a hundred percent. Absolutely, absolutely. We're chatting with Kenny Bruchard, talking about Catholic answer to Are you saved? More to come right after this. Now back to hands-on apologetics with Gary Machuda. If you'd like to join the conversation, call eight eight eight. Five two six two one five one. Here's Gary. And welcome back, everybody. Hands-on Apologetics. We are chatting with our good friend, Kenny Bruchard of chnetwork.org, which, of course, is the Coming Home Network. And uh, you can check out uh, all the great material right there at chnetwork.org. Talking about how should Catholics, what's the Catholic answer to, are you saved? And, uh, yeah, mm -hmm. some really great thoughts, Kenny. Like I said, I never... Never considered the plural in that, and that really does change the whole complexion of, yeah, it, of what Paul writes. It does. You know, in the in the Protestant evangelical mind, salvation is kind of a one-man sport. Um, you know, <clears throat> you, you, you're, you're trying to get on, you're trying to get on the boat, you know, and it's just you and Jesus, and he's going to save you, and you're going to get saved, and hopefully you make it. And, um, and and in in the biblical story, in the in the biblical story of salvation, God is saving a people for Himself, a whole people, a whole people of God. He decides in advance that that's what He's going to do. Predestines that is, that He is going to have a people for Himself, and we we join that people of God through the saving work of Jesus and faith and 
and the and the synergy between those two things. We participate in God's saving work. But the way Ephesians begins is that Jesus has has done what's necessary for this in the past. So I would say, well, first of all, dear friend, uh, that Ephesians text is about the saving work of Jesus in the past um, and, the, and what he did on the cross. And yes, I believe in that. I believe in in in, the, in what Jesus has done on the cross. So so give me, you know, please, please, my, my Protestant evangelical friend, give me a point for for that one. I get I get to check that box. <laughs> right. <laughs> now I'm going to check a second box though cuz I'm a Catholic and I and I believe lots of things about salvation. So I also believe that we are being saved. And I have a bucket of Bible verses for that too if I, if I if I've got a Bible. Uh, and just a couple here. One is um 1 Corinthians chapter 1 um which, by the way, let, let's remember here the same Paul who writes the book of Ephesians about what Jesus has done in the past have been saved, also uses salvation in an ongoing, presently active way. Um, so it, these ideas come out of the same mind, right? And they ultimately come out of the heart of the Holy Spirit inspiring Scripture. So 1 Corinthians chapter 1.18 says, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing— but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Now, notice he doesn't say to those who have been saved mm -hmm. or, the, or to those who got saved. You know, he doesn't use this past idea. Rather, he uses this process concept that the, the word of the cross is um, the power of God to those who are being saved. Now, he uses the same phrase in his second letter to the Corinthians, chapter 2, verse 15, he says, for we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. So Paul is able to envision that the work of Jesus has accomplished salvation in the past through the work of God in Christ on the cross, but that it accrues to me, it applies to me, it works itself out in my life, I am being saved as I participate with God in this, this process. And I might find myself in one of two groups, according to Paul, those who are being saved and those who are perishing. And so here, the nerdy behind-the-scenes grammatical stuff is that these are a present passive participle plurals. And again, the plurals are, it's the ye, you, y'all. Uh, you as a group, not you as an individual, but you as a group are being saved or are perishing, depending on how you are orienting yourself to the cross. Uh, and, and that's where he <clears throat> fixes the locus of, of salvation, just like he does in Ephesians. He wants us to know that it's Jesus who made it possible and if I am fixing my hope, my anticipation on the, the cross of Jesus, then I am being saved. And if I reject it, then I am perishing. And that's a process that's ongoing in the life of the believer. So, again, I'll, I'll pause there. Any, any, any thoughts? I know we're in our final segment, a couple more ideas, but I just wanted to... Yeah, no, I I think, uh, yeah, that's crystal clear about this ongoing process that we are currently being saved. We've been saved in the past. 
Now, it's, which brings exactly, us to the third bucket, right? It really does. The third bucket is the will be saved. And Jesus is the great will be saved uh, preacher in the New Testament. If you want to talk about the future, um, this is in Matthew chapter 10, verse 22. He says to his disciples, "And you will be hated for all by my uh, for uh, by all for um, for my name's sake or because of me, but he who endures to the end will be saved." And then the same idea in Matthew twenty four thirteen. He says, "But he who endures to the end will be saved." So I was part of a tradition that understood Jesus to be saying what seems crystal clear here that a person might shrink back. And in fact, in the book of Hebrews, the author says, let us not shrink back. <laughs> let us press on. Let us persevere. Let's remain in the faith. Stay in the faith. And so the, the Catholic view of or the Catholic answer to the question, are you saved, is because of Jesus, I have been saved, or salvation has been accomplished for all of God's people, and I'm participating in that, so I am being saved now because I'm keeping my eyes on the cross of Jesus, and I'm walking with Jesus in the here and now, And I could, but I could stumble, and I could fall, and I don't, I don't want to do that. I don't plan on it, but people can fall away. So I'm planning on hanging in there with the Lord till the end, and the promise of Jesus is that if I do that, I will be saved. And I say, how about you? <laughs> how about you? Right. Now, there are a couple of, and I said there was a, this fourth category, which really relates to the third, and that's the if texts, you know, if, uh, if this, then that. And in, in um, uh, let's see, it says, I would remind you, brethren, in what terms I preach to you the gospel. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 15, uh, uh, which you received, in which you stand, by which you are saved, if you hold it fast, unless you've believed in vain. I be hey, I'm a Catholic. I believe what the Bible says. I will be saved if I hold fast. Uh, wherefore, in Phil Philippians chapter 2.12 says, Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. So a Catholic believes in all of these verses, the whole three or four bucket collection of all the verses about salvation. And I don't think we should be afraid to, to say that to our, our conversation partners who are not Catholics. Say, I believe in a, a, the past, the present active, and the future ways in which the Bible talks about this. And I even believe in all the if texts. And so as a, as a Catholic, I believe that I'm supposed to cooperate with the grace of God. And even that's a gift that he that he gives me. The, the ability to do that comes from God. Um, but, but I'm responsible. And so if you want to know if I'm doing that, yeah, yeah, I am. I am doing that. And that would be how I would would talk about the are you saved question. I mean, ultimately, you do need a, a quick answer. So I, I think a Catholic should always say, hey, look, my friend, I'm, I'm a Christian. I believe in Jesus. I believe that Jesus has done uh, everything needed to save me on the cross. But I mean, there's more to say if you want to want to talk about that. But but if you're asking if I'm a Christian, yeah, yeah, I've, I've accept, I accept Jesus as my Savior and my King. I think Catholics just need to just say that right 
out of their mouths as fast as they right as fast as the question is asked they need to respond that quickly and not stammer not stumble not stutter dear catholic friend say yes <laughs> but then say more yeah because the bible right, says right. More, right right yeah i think for for catholic ears when they hear are you saved they, they're thinking of future right. you know are, are you going to end up in heaven and right. so that's where the if bucket comes in and they say, well, I hope I am, you know, by God's grace, I maybe will be. And that kind of throws them for a loop because you, sure. you really do need to do the be, have been saved, are being saved and hope. Absolutely. You know, one of the texts that that is ap, that's used often, and I have a post about this on my blog, Gary, com. It's called You Can Be Assured of Salvation If. And I go through the whole first epistle of John, where it says, you know, I write to you so that you may know that you have eternal life. And you'll have a Protestant evangelical friend who'll say, the Bible says you can know. It sure does. But there are 19 if clauses in surrounding that text. Uh, I can, uh, Paul is writing so that I can know that I have eternal life. But he keeps using this Greek word, E-A-N, aeon, if, 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 19 times in 1 John. So if someone, if someone you know, asks me if I have assurance of salvation, I say, well, there are 19 conditions in 1 John that all lead up to this so that you may know. It isn't just, mm. you know, it isn't really even on the basis of me saying my sinner's prayer. In fact, that condition isn't mentioned one time in 1 John. The condition that I'm given by the evangelist is never mentioned in 1 John, but 19 other things are. Like I walk in the light as he is in the light. <laughs> you know, I confess yeah, my right. sins. Um, I don't hate my brother. You know, I don't participate yeah. in evil. All these other conditions are given by which I might have assurance, you know. So yeah. assurance yeah. of salvation is really behind all that. Yeah. It, it, thank God for John, you know, uh, John in the, those uh, conditional statements. Absolutely. Um, because, uh, yeah, that's that's, I think, uh, one of those cherry pick verse, uh, verses uh, about knowing and having assurance that they, they miss all the other stuff that John wrote about in the letter. You know, it, and it goes back to the beginning. It comes from a good place of wanting people to know they have a relationship with God. But as Catholics, we just want to be careful to look at everything the Bible says about salvation. And what it says is that we have been saved, we're being saved, and we will be saved. And lots of ifs in there. Uh, but there's no if around whether Jesus has done enough. Amen. He has done everything that, uh, that, that needs to be done. So anyway. Absolutely. Well, uh Kenny, okay, so you mentioned your blog, the article's up on KennyBurchard.com, right? Yep, And of course, they can check out your stuff on Coming Home Network, chnetwork.org. Lots of stuff awesome. there on this question as well. Hey, thanks for having me on, Gary. What a joy to be with you and talk through this today. So fun. Yeah, Kenny, it's always a pleasure. I always learn something new from you, so, you know, it's my benefit and the audience benefit, too. So, have a great week, my friend. All right, that's Kenny Bruchard. Uh, check out his stuff and also check out chnetwork.org. Uh, he does great work there, too. Well, uh, coming up next, High Impact Apple Talk with the Terry Justice Show. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great weekend.